Welcome to Retain FM. In this week's episode, Pete talks to Marcel Petipa, owner of Paraquito and host of the Agency Profit Podcast, about the levers in your agency that drive your profitability. They also talk through the best places to start to review your digital agency from a profit-first position. Hello and welcome to this episode of Retain FM and today I'm delighted to be joined by a guest who has been, well on my airwaves anyway, for at least uh, at least a year or so, Mr. Marcel Petipart from Paraquito Stroke, the Agency Profit Podcast Stroke, I know you do some coaching stuff as well. So uh, Marcel, do you want to introduce yourself and um, tell everybody at home a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Of course. Uh, and first, I just want to thank you, Pete, for having me. It's great to be on your show. I'm a listener of your show as well. So i um, excited that you and I are going to get to collaborate uh, and create some content together. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, as you mentioned, my name is Marcel. I run a firm called Parakeeto, and we are exclusively focused on helping digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability and doing it in a way that helps them evolve from the traditional way of measuring the business, which relies mostly on financial data and you know, that financial data often looking backwards 30, 45 days ago to figure out what's going on. We help them kind of move into more operations data that can be used to uh, make decisions day to day and get a lot more specific and timely information about what's going right and what's going wrong in the business. Cool. Cool. I certainly couldn't have said it as succinctly as that. So I'm pleased I passed that over to you right at the start before (laughs) I murdered some kind of introduction. Um, So... Look, I, I mean, anybody that's listened to your show, there'll be a link to your show in the in the show notes. You very much are the the operations kind of guy, and and I get from the way that I've heard you talk that those really are the things that make you tick. But they're not necessarily the the sexiest parts of agency life. So, but, but before we kind of get into what we can track, how we should track, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, let's uh, you know wh- where where did you come from? How how did you get involved in this? How did you figure out that this was going to be your thing? That's a great question. So I, you know, I ran a a firm very briefly. It was one of my first businesses and we were doing real estate virtual reality services. So before you could do it with your phone, we would go into houses, take a whole bunch of pictures, turn it into a 3D model. So you could do a virtual tour online or using a headset. This was back in like 2015. And at the time, the real estate market was very, very different than it is today. Houses were sitting for two or three years. The average sale price where I was from was about 180,000 Canadian pesos. And so real estate agents were not really willing to invest a lot of money in their listings. And I ended up very early on wrestling with this problem of, you know, we don't have the unit economics in the service offering for me to hire someone else to do it, have enough margin to cover overhead and still have a profitable business. So it really, I got to this crossroads pretty early on in that business where I realized this is either going to be a hobby for me or, you know, I'm going to have to walk away if I really want to start a business. So from there, I got interest in software as a service and, you know, spent three years doing what software entrepreneurs do, which is building and failing at uh, several ideas <laughs> until eventually I got a phone call. You know, I had some successes along the way. I started doing some speaking and coaching and, you know, figured out how to make ends meet as an entrepreneur and that kind of stuff. But eventually I got a call from a friend of mine who ran a much bigger agency than I had ever run. And he just explained, hey, man, I spend two days a week in spreadsheets trying to answer these simple but not easy to answer questions like when can we take on a client when do we need to hire someone and what if things change uh, are we billing enough time out what is the profitability of our clients like what are utilizations looking like 
I need this information, but it's really hard to get it. There has to be a better way to do this. Are you interested in working on this problem with me? And so the first thing that we decided to do was to go out and just talk to a bunch of other agencies and figure out if they had this problem. And immediately we knew, yeah, this is something that everyone is dealing with, but no one is talking about. So that was really the thesis behind Parakeeto, as well as our content, really trying to focus on this area of the business that at that time, there really wasn't much uh, content, there wasn't much information, and nobody was really um, creating a space to discuss those things in detail. Cool, cool. And I got to say, uh, you, you know, your show is... Um... Uh, your show is brilliant. The, the the guests that you have on, the way you interact with them, and the way uh, look. It's, if you haven't checked it out, as I say, there'll be a link in the show notes. I, I do recommend you go and check out a few shows because it really does get to the nuts and bolts of, of running an agency. Um, and that's uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant the, the way you lift the lid on that kind of stuff and get people to open up. So Appreciate that. the look the the thing you kind of mentioned this earlier. The thing that happens with most people is that they get so that they're so busy getting on with the job that they kind of get swamped by data they don't necessarily know where to look so they initially instantly go to the financials and say hey right you know so so what's the money doing and then kind of uh try and try and unpick a plan from there so but there are so many other things that we can track. And this kind of applies to agencies of all sizes. You know, if you're a solopreneur listening to this, you should still be on top of some of these numbers. So where would you begin? When when you get when you yeah. when you started with that with that client, with that that friend of yours that said, I'm spending two week uh, two days a week in spreadsheets, and you're just the problem is put on your desk. Where where do you begin? What's what's the what's the first step in this? Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is now I can speak from a point of reference of having looked at hundreds of agencies and helped them all kind of transition through this. And to your point, we've worked with agencies doing all kinds of different services, everything from website design development to branding to all, just white label stuff to having full in-house teams, to having full outsource teams of freelancers. And it works across the board. Uh, we've even done it in other adjacent uh, areas like environmental consulting and oh, cool. different weird verticals, but all professional services. So yeah. really what it comes down to is a lot simpler than I think people make it out to be. The way we have typically th thought about solving this problem, as you said, is we go to the finance department. And the problem with how most people are experiencing this is the finance department says, okay, well, here's your profit and loss statement. And most agencies can only see two numbers with any real clarity, which is here's how much money is coming into the business. And then here's how much money is left over. And everything in the middle is all just kind of jumbled together and called overheads, right? <laughs> Cost of goods sold is really isolating pass-through expenses. So the accountant's like, yeah, your gross margins are incredible, right? You have 80, 90% gross margins. That, that's not actually true because it's not being calculated properly. And they're like, but your bottom line's not that good because your overheads are so high. And the reality is that we have to treat a professional services business different than other businesses, but most people don't have an accounting team that is going into that nuance with them. They're just trying to apply general practices. So as much as we want to help people move away from finance, everybody is doing it, hopefully, because it's what you have to do to stay out of jail. So the first place to start, in my opinion, is there, right? Let's just get yeah. more juice out of that squeeze since you're already investing the time and money to get financial statements. And the really important, the two things that most firms are not seeing that are important to see is number one, differentiating between revenue and agency gross income. 
So that's a function of saying, what is the amount of cost that passes through our agency onto external vendors that we're not responsible for earning or for making profitable? So examples of that kind of pass-through expense would be advertising spend, print budgets, white label partners, materials, um, you know, renting camera gear, hiring somebody to do a video shoot, right? You're paying another vendor and whether or not that part of the job is profitable is up to them to figure out. And what we really want to isolate is what's left over after we strip those expenses out. That's what we call agency gross income. And for most firms, if you look at your profit and loss statement, the thing that's called gross profit on that is actually your agency gross income. So if that's the case, that's fine. It's not a big deal. But then the next thing that we need to figure out is what is actually your gross margin on that, right? Because as a service business, the cost of delivering to your clients is mostly going to be time. So what that means is we've got to start looking at our payroll bucket, which is usually just one big line item on the P&L. And we need to start differentiating between how much of that payroll is meant for client work and how much of it is meant for things that are not client work. And usually software needs to be split out in that same way as well. There's usually going to be four to six percent of your agency gross income that is needed for tools that are in your team's tool belt, but that aren't just for one single client. So if you do design, this is probably your Figma subscription, or you might have an Adobe Creative Cloud subscription. Mm -hmm. And that's a tool that your team brings to work that they're going to use kind of all over the place. So you need to separate out that payroll and that software to understand what your delivery costs are. And then you can understand, okay, well, what is actually our gross margin on that agency gross income? separate from overhead, which is really about running the business, paying lawyers, accountants, paying for facilities, administrative expenses, sales and marketing, that kind of stuff. And once you can differentiate those two things, then it's much easier to see where is the problem in regards to profitability. Because when our accounting team says it's overheads, we start trying to squeeze our bookkeeper and you know cut down our software costs and look for a smaller office. But usually that's not the problem. Nine out of 10 times the problem is the gross margin or delivery margin on services is just fundamentally not there. And that's also where the biggest point of leverage is for improving profitability. So that's step one is get clear on what is the gross margin or delivery margin on your service. And that can be done with the existing reporting that you're getting, just making a couple of simple tweaks to that. That's, yeah, that's brilliant. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased. <laughs> it's the, the, th- the thought that's going through my head is that it's so good to have you say that on the show for, for for people that have been listening to this show i've done i've done shows before about how to build profit into services and that's that's um that's essentially the other side of this coin isn't it so uh, everything you've said is like an overview of of how your business is operating right now the, the one of the dangers with using those financial forecasts uh, in my opinion, anyway, I'll be interested to see if you agree, is that that is all historical data. Yes. M- most businesses, in my experience, generally tend to look at that when they have their annual accounts done. There's not <laughs> too many people, you're laughing, so I hope you agree, there's not too many people seem to be on top of those numbers too often uh, through, mm-hmm. throughout the year. In, in the UK, where we would call the, that process running management accounts, i.e. accounts that like internal accounts that only the management team would see. I don't know whether that's a, a, a term that you use in the US. But yeah, it, it's it's about looking at historical data. Uh, I will get to a question, I promise. Um, the uh, I think really where, where we want to go is where do we then, how do we then translate that into looking into more proactive data and yeah. how that then forecasts into the future? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think this is the fundamental flaw with finance data is that it is going to be a wonderful source of truth for what has happened in the past because it has to be so precise because there are legal implications to it not being precise. But because it's so precise and because everything needs to be reconciled and you've got to wait for your vendors to invoice you and so on, even if you throw more money at the problem and say, we're going to hire a full-time controller, they're going to do bookkeeping every day, you're still going to be blocked by externalities and you're always going to be looking backwards at this information. And for most firms, if they have the discipline to look at it monthly, it's 45 days old by the time they get it. It's two, three weeks into the next month. And even if you add the component of agency gross income and delivery margin, you're going to have more clarity on what's going on, but you're still not going to have inf any information really on why. Like, okay, our, our delivery margin or gross margin is 40%. We know we need it to be at 60, but why is it at 40%? What's going on? And so that leads into the leading indicators, the things that you can use operations data to measure much, much quicker that will ultimately take care of the profit and loss statement. And really, it comes down to the three things that impact delivery margin. There's really only three metrics, and they're all very, very simple and very, very inexpensive to measure. So the first one is average cost per hour, which is a proxy for the delivery cost side of that margin equation. So the idea there is you start paying attention to across all the different kinds of work that we do. On average, what does it cost us to deploy an hour of our team's time towards that work? And what that's going to be represented of is what is the kind of expense or seniority of the kinds of mix of people that have to do this work. And to really kind of make it practical, there was a time when we first started out that we would do our agency audits and I did all of the work, soup to nuts. I was doing everything. <laughs> and over time, we built better processes and SOPs. And I was able to bring an account manager in to do more and more and more of the mechanical stuff, the setting up the spreadsheets, collecting information from the client, getting everything prepared. And increasingly, I was able to come in and just do the things that were highest leverage as a consultant. Yep. Now, an account manager gets paid about half as much as somebody who would do my role as a consultant. And so effectively, that brought our average cost per hour down pretty significantly. So in a world where you're using freelancers, you'll feel that improvement in profitability right away because you're generally paying for that labor on a very short turn. And if you're using a salary team, at scale, what this will mean is you'll have a materially lower payroll number relative to your income because you won't need as many senior or experienced people. So Average cost per hour is kind of the lowering cost side of improving that margin. It's not quite as fun or interesting, but most of that comes down to developing processes and systems and documentation, which lowers the level of judgment required in order to complete deliverables, which allows you to move more of that work towards people who are less experienced, which typically is going to correlate with a lower cost uh, to employ them or to hire them for their time. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the first lever, and that's related to cost. The next two levers are related to revenue. And it's about asking the question, how do we get more income generated with our same team? And there's two ways to do that. The first is looking at average billable rate. An average billable rate is one of my favorite metrics because it's so inexpensive, it's so simple, and it allows you to measure like just about anything in your business and get a, really, a lot of insight. Average billable rate is calculated by looking at how much agency gross income did we collect, and how many hours did it take us to complete that work? That's it. And so it doesn't matter if you bill by the hour, you bill on flat rates, you bill on value, you can do any pricing model. At the end of the day, you'll have gotten paid a certain amount of money and you'll have spent a certain amount of time to get it done. Um, and the really important distinction here is we're not looking at how many billable hours did we log 
It's how many hours did we spend to get this done? It doesn't matter if they were billed or not billed or if we screwed up and we had to spend extra time or if we came in under budget, how many hours did we spend to get it done? It doesn't care about pricing model. So that formula allows us to measure any project, any client for any time period or any group of clients and projects for any time period. So we could look at what was our ABR this week, this month, this quarter. We could look at what was it for this project, this group of projects, this department, and slice and dice the business however we want, as long as we can get those two pieces of information. What it, what was the AGI? How many hours did we spend? And then we can start to see all kinds of interesting things. You know, What kind of clients or projects are more or less efficient at earning revenue than others? Is that number going up or down over time? And it can really start to help us understand, you know, what kind of things should we be selling more of or spending more of our time on? What kind of areas do we need to focus on from a process perspective to try and get more efficient? And really, there's two ways to improve that number. We can, of course, increase our prices, which is talked about a lot and is usually an opportunity for most firms. But there is a real ceiling to that. A, a, a lot of the conversation around this likes to pretend that there is just no ceiling to pricing and it's all in our mindset and all that. But like at some point, there is a real ceiling to pricing. So the other side of that equation is spend less time to get the same work done. So improving efficiency. And that has the same impact. If you can take a deliverable that used to take you 100 hours and find a way to now get it done in 50, you've essentially doubled your average billable rate, which means you can do twice as many of those projects without increasing the size of the team. They can therefore earn twice as much revenue. So average billable rate is a really powerful one. Yep. And we want to pay attention to price and time in order to optimize for that. The third metric, which is also related to increasing our revenue, is utilization. So that's really a function of we look at all the time that we purchase from our team across everybody on the team, and we try to figure out how to increase the percentage of that time that is spent earning the average billable rate that I just talked about, mm -hmm. which is really just a function of do we have enough work to keep the team busy? You know, within reason, of course, we want to set targets that are reasonable and sustainable. But to the extent that we are overstaffed and not able to keep that team busy, that's, of course, going to be a cost to the business. So we want to optimize for utilization. And so much of that comes down to just having an effective way of forecasting. And I really encourage people to think about going to a top down method for forecasting as opposed to a bottom up method. It's going to be less precise, but it's accurate and it allows you to much more quickly get a sense of like, are we on track or not to even be in mm -hmm. the ballpark to hit our utilization target? Um, so those are really the the three key metrics. And utilization, by the way, is calculated by looking at um, delivery hours in a given period of time. So again, not billable hours. I don't care how many got billed to the client or you know how that was priced. How much time did we spend doing work for clients divided by total capacity? And there's a project manager listening to this that's going to have an aneurysm when I say this. But when we <laughs> say total capacity, okay, it's everybody on the team including people that do no work for clients at all. And it's all of their capacity. So we don't take out weekends. We don't take out holidays. We don't take out paid time off. We don't take out sick time. We leave all of that in. We have to leave all that in because there's a cost to that and we need to see it reflected in this metric. And if you think about it for a second, if we start taking that time out of capacity, then the logic in that metric now becomes the more time our team spends doing those things, the more profitable we become as a business. Well, that's mm -hmm. the opposite of the truth. And so we, we, of course, cannot measure that metric that way. Um, so that's how we measure utilization. The simplest possible way, it seems like it's wrong, but it's actually, when you think about it, it's very, very right. A lot of what you've just said is essentially all about working smarter rather than working harder. I think that's, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't want to paraphrase it, but I, 
I come, I come into contact with a lot of agency owners. And uh, look, I, they, they they don't come to me for the same financial advice that they come to you. But when they come to me, they're they're often come they're often coming because they normally have one of two problems: they either don't have enough money coming through the business, or they don't really know where to go to get leads. That's that's normally normally it. In both cases, however, all I'm going to say all the vast majority of agencies that I work with in a coaching capacity, they are all very good at making themselves look busy. And uh, a, a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine, he was he used to be a minister. He's not anymore. But he he once said to me he could prepare any talk for any situation in seven minutes if he get if he only gave himself the seven minutes to do it if he gave himself all week to do it he'd fill the week preparing mm. whatever said talk was going to be so I, I i guess there isn't really a question at the end of this but merely an observation from my side of things which is that if you are going to take some of this stuff seriously you are going to start tracking some of these numbers mm. a lot of it is about working smarter and actually letting the letting the numbers dictate what your next action should be or you know where highlighting whether where the problems are yeah I, I would agree with that and i think it's a lot of simplification and what i love about this framework of you know going beyond the profit and loss statement and then starting to focus on these three numbers and really there's two of them that are most important the utilization average billable rate those two numbers are so simple they're so easy to understand they're so inexpensive. You can measure them on a weekly basis if you want to. And then you can start having a conversation with your team about these metrics without having to like open up your financials and your books, which you know obviously has a lot of things tied into it. And that to me is the most powerful thing that happens. Because a lot of people that are listening to this, they'll go like, well, yeah, like, you know, maybe I, I could increase my utilization, but my team is telling me that they're super busy. Um, or, you know, maybe we could increase our average billable rate, but like there's all these constraints. And you'd be amazed what happens when you start actually just talking to your team about these things and you get on the same side of the table and just talk about like, hey, if we hit this utilization and this average billable rate or an infinite combination of average billable rate and utilization like to get us to our delivery margin target, then we're going to be fine as a business and everyone's going to be good and you'll all get your bonuses and we'll be able to hire great people, etc. You'd be amazed at how much the team can actually start to take agency uh, around these things and come up with ideas and what you'll learn, right? In that it's like, well, yeah, everybody is really, really busy because they're working on the wrong things or because they're not that busy. So they spend extra time doing things that they don't actually need to. And if you double the amount of work that they had to do, it would actually just regulate back to, to your point, like what is actually realistic when the constraint is applied. So I really encourage people to double click on these numbers. And if you can even just develop mastery around average billable rate and utilization and how those two things come together to really dictate how much revenue your team can handle and start having conversations with them, it's just a complete game changer. It, it improves timesheet compliance. Everybody's more on board with process improvements. Everybody starts to take more ownership. And the profitability of the business really starts to become a shared responsibility and not something you're just doing at the top. You know what? I think that's, you, you make a really key point there about ownership because we, I've, again, I mentioned this before on the podcast in different, different shows. We occasionally do what we call as a, a dependency count in the business. Mm. 
And that is not just looking at all the staff that we have, but looking at their spouses, their their children, uh, you know, any other dependents that they may have. And actually saying, you know what, our agency is is a business that isn't just here to serve the, the people that you see in the office or that we see on Zoom or, or however we communicate with each other. But actually there's, you know, there's real life people at the other end of this that are benefiting from this. There's children that are going on summer holidays in the summer because of the bonuses that you received. And there's, you, you know what I mean? It, it, and the, the reason we do that is to give this sense of purpose that actually you're not just here to do a job we we are in some respects like an incidental community that are all trying to drive towards one goal that goal really is profitability because that's what that's what keeps the business afloat as you say but it's actually there's this corporate collective responsibility that we all need to pull our weight and it's if if you can start to work in that mentality with your team, if your if your team look that that kind of mentality starts from the top down is what I'm saying, and mm. if you can start thinking that way and imparting that way of of uh, working that way of thinking onto your team and give them the responsibility, the tools, the the data, the metrics particularly, so that they can see that look this this work that you're doing here is moving the needle over there then that that really is good for team morale it's good for collaboration it, it it's just a good team ethic and dynamic to be in yeah i agree and it's it's interesting i think about that ripple effect with an agency in particular it's even larger because you think about all the clients that they yeah. support like there are a lot of clients that if without your services without the leads or the marketing that you did for them their business wouldn't work and so it's there really is this incredible impact and being a profitable agency allows you to be a good steward for your team and for your clients as well, because mm-hmm. you're not operating from this place of financial scarcity. Scarcity, and what's crazy is I I'm increasingly talking to firms that are coming to me and saying like, we we have this social purpose to our business. We want to do a four day work week, or we want to support this charity, or we want to give a certain percentage of our profits to this organization. And I don't think what social purpose businesses realize is that profitability is even more important for them. Because if you think about it, it's like 90% of businesses aren't even going to be profitable. They're going to fail. So when you say, I'm going to be a social purpose business, you're not just saying, I'm not only going to be in that top 10% of businesses that don't fail, I'm going to be in like the top 2% that are so profitable that we can afford to give stuff away and support these social purposes and bring them along for the ride. So you have to be elite as an operator to be a social purpose business. And everybody's usually thinking about this in terms of like, there being a conflict between profitability and being, you know, a socially responsible business. But I actually think that that it's a necessity, right? You have to perform well if you're going to be able to support these other causes as a byproduct of your success. Uh, yeah, and you know, who thought that a that a conversation that started about profit would would end up in in this kind of format of social action? But you're dead right. the The reality is that it is the security in that financial position that allows you to do to do all these other great things um, and look that's why i get out of bed in the morning like you know <laughs> i'm not here to help a ceo buy a third summer home or get a mega yacht um oh, damn those, it. those those <laughs> might be things that happen but the thing that really gets me motivated is we've helped clients double or triple their profitability grow 60 70 100 year over year and decrease the amount of overtime and, and weekend work that their team was putting in right? Give people more job security, allow them to not have to furlough and lay people off every time that there's a big client that drops off because they have more 
security at a financial level. So they're able to just act in more in alignment with their values. They're not under this undue pressure. And that to me is really the powerful thing about improving profitability. And it's why we do what we do, because we really believe that those two things aren't in conflict with one another. But I think a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth from the old world of consulting and agency when the model was bill by the hour, hold your team accountable to a high utilization target, and let them subsidize poor management of the business. If we go over budget on a project, we didn't scope it properly, the client's you know, kind of crazy and we can't keep the scope in check, the team will pay for that with their evenings and weekends and it'll all come out in the wash. But that doesn't work anymore. It's not a model that we really like to support. And so you know, we're really trying to, to change the narrative around this stuff. And I think a lot of the reservations that people have about time tracking and metrics and profitability, I think they come from just having had a negative experience with it. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would generally tend to agree. And, you know, if you, uh, particularly if you don't know where to begin, you're not sure where to start, all of this stuff can seem like an uphill struggle. And just like, you know, if you are in that place of being super busy or feeling like you're super busy, whether it's genuine or not, uh, the, you know, it, th this is essentially giving you an extra job to do in order to, to find this level of clarity. Yes. And of course, that's why we exist as a firm. Um, so that's a shameless plug. You know, if you're a busy CEO and you've got lots of sales coming in and your team's really busy and you're thinking, why don't I have more cash in my bank account? And why does it still feel like, you know, we're not as profitable as we should be? That's why we exist and we can help you just kind of figure all this out. But it isn't actually that complicated. And I, you know, I'll I'll plug our agency profit toolkit which has, you know, videos, training videos and templates and resources that can help you get a lot of the things I've discussed on the show today in place and start to measure them for yourself. And um, I really would love to see, even if we never got hired for any of it, I just want to see more agencies get a grip on these numbers because they can really transform their ability to, you know, be sustainable and, and do right by all their stakeholders. That's cool. Yeah. So a link to the uh, toolkit will be in the show notes again. Uh, so uh, just feel free to click on whatever platform you're listening on and it'll be directly underneath, uh, directly underneath the episode. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm aware of your time and I don't want to go uh, sort of, too, uh, you know, I don't want to go uh, be irresponsible with it. Um, but I do have two more things that I'd like to like to ask you. So the yeah. first, the first is that for anybody who's been listening so far and thinks, yeah, you know, Marcel's really speaking to me. I don't know what these targets are. I'm going to follow his toolkit, going to figure out these numbers. Mm. The first thing is, where would you, or where would you as, uh, or where do agencies normally, where's a good place for them to start when mm -hmm. it comes to assessing where they can increase that profitability margin do they what what i think the, the the thought i've got in my head really is you know uh, as an agency owner that's maybe not been through this before looking mm -hmm. at a year's worth of data can be can be quite daunting do i start with okay let's let's review a project or let's review a client or let's review a service let's take web design or seo or whatever it might be and actually yeah. run it as a model there first or do I go back to just work with that historical data and try and skip forward to catch up with myself? Where where would you begin with that? There's kind of two places that you can you can go. There's two lanes, um, and I think part of it is going to depend on what kind of infrastructure you already have in place at the business. So if you don't have any time tracking data, or you do but it's not 
you know, like the team tracks time, but they don't really track time or you like half the team does, but the other half doesn't. If you're yeah. kind of in that situation, which most most of the clients that we work with, that's kind of their starting point. Then I would start with financials because at least you have data there that is meaningful and, and somewhat accurate. So I would go to the financials and I would figure out what is my delivery margin. And so there's a video in the toolkit that goes much deeper into some of the nuances around that, but try to get a directional sense of what is my delivery margin. And chances are the insight will be it's not as good as I want it to be. You want to have a 50% or higher delivery margin on your profit and loss statement. If you're below that, you're putting yourself in a position where it's just going to be difficult to be very profitable. But if you're over 50%, then you should be fine. Your your bottom line is probably looking pretty healthy as a result. So that's the first thing to go and focus on. And if you find that your delivery margin is low, then it's a question of trying to improve it. And most firms that I speak to, they kind of intuitively have a sense of what's going on. Right. If you're constantly over servicing clients and the scopes are getting out of whack and then it's like, okay, that's probably an average billable rate problem where you think you're charging 150 an hour, but you're actually making a hundred because you know you're putting an extra 30% into every single project that you do. Or some clients have the innate sense that it's like oh, it's a utilization problem. Like I'm just never really keeping my team that busy. They spend more time working on internal stuff than they do working on client work. I think I'm overstaffed. Like you'll kind of have a sense for that. So then just start measuring those things is, I guess, the next path where if you have that time tracking data and you do have some of that stuff in place, then I would encourage you to start just measuring average billable rate per client or per project or whatever segmentation makes sense for you. And again, super simple. Just take the agency gross income, divide it by the amount of time that was tracked against that project. And you'll very quickly start to see patterns in terms of like, oh, hey, this client that we've had for you know, 10 years that we've never changed the price on, but the scope has changed a lot since then. We're, you know, we're making 25, you know, pounds an hour on this project. Like we've got it. That's obviously not very good. Um, and utilization is a similar thing. It's not going to be perfect, but start to get a directionally accurate sense of like, oh, you know, we've got 10,000 hours of capacity every month and we're spending 3000 of those doing client work. The other 7,000 are going to all kinds of other random things. Well, Again, like that's probably going to make it difficult for you to be very profitable. So start measuring just average billable rate and just utilization. Those two metrics alone should give you enough insight into like where is actually the problem and the opportunity for you to start getting better at things. And again, the the toolkit has a video that kind of goes much deeper into these things and should be able to help you get a sense uh, of how those um, should get measured. But I want to illustrate just to kind of put this into a very practical example, like the impact that these things can have. So it, because it's a little bit abstract, so we'll try to make it less abstract. Let's imagine you have a team of five people that do work for your clients. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a capacity of roughly 10,000 hours a year, right? Five times 2,000, it's about 10,000 hours a year. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you utilize them at 50%, that means 5,000 of those hours get spent doing client work. And if on average, your average billable rate is $100 per hour, that means that that team can earn $500,000 in a given time period or in a year, let's say. Assuming that they make $300,000 in salary, that puts you at a 40% delivery margin. Yep. So that's like, okay, you're probably going to spend 30% on overhead. So you have a 10% bottom line, which is like, eh, it's not that exciting, right? So if all you did was improve utilization from 50 to 60% and you kept your average billable rate the same, you're now going from 5,000 to 6,000 hours spent on client work. You're now earning $600,000 with that same team. Your delivery margin has just gone from 40 to 50%. And if you find a way to get your average billable rate up to 125, 
little pricing tweak, a little efficiency here or there. Now we've got 6,000 hours at $125 per hour. That's $750,000 per year from that same team. Your delivery margin has just gone from 50 to 60%. So you've just taken that team from being able to earn $500,000 in revenue to, two, to an extra $250,000 in revenue. None of your costs have changed. Your overhead presumably hasn't changed. That team's compensation presumably hasn't changed. That's an extra $250,000 right to the bottom line. So that is the impact that these seemingly small and not that meaningful tweaks can have on the performance of a firm like that. And if you're operating at a much larger scale, you have 50 people instead of five, right? We're talking about $2.5 million in additional profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the power of these, these two simple levers, just how significant that change can be. That's uh, yeah, that that's that is absolutely absolutely nuts. <laughs> when you put when you put the <laughs> figures together like that, when you run it as a simulation, it it, it is uh, it is insane. And, uh, and and you know, like we were saying earlier, we have a duty to do this for our staff, for their their families, for our clients. There's there's also a corporate responsibility, I suppose, as well to to have a uh, to build longevity into your business. You know, a client that you build a website for today. Um, you know, they're, they're going to need maintenance and support in years to come. They might want to expand their business. They may need this. They may need that. They may need the other. And actually, if you still want to be around to service that client, just because you've sent a website live doesn't mean they're no longer your client. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I fully get that. Um, so the the second thing that I, I wanted to ask you just before we wrap up and close is, um, again, listener, listen to all of this particularly that that uh, illustration that you've just mentioned to and says it goes and figures out right this is this is what we want to uh, you know th- this is where we are right now hmm. what are the challenges to affecting that change what what is it that uh, what are the key hurdles to overcome I I, I know yeah. we, we've done shows before about how to put prices upon clients and this this that and other but you know just Maybe your toolkit covers some of this. I don't know, but when you've got that picture, hmm. what you know, what is the biggest piece of advice you could give to anybody that then wants to make that theory into a reality? Yeah, I think so many of the challenges are going to come from not having buy-in from the team, and I think if that problem can get solved, so many of these things get easier. Because ultimately, what this means is. And this is the thing that we we say all the time is the data can only tell you what the data is, but it can't tell you why the data is. And so that's where it becomes critically important to understand that the conversation that happens around this data and the decisions that come out of that conversation are really where the rubber meets the road. And so if you could sit down, imagine if you sat down with your team every month and you pulled up an average billable rate report for all of your clients and you saw that there were five clients that were earning you know, 250 pounds an hour, they were thrilled, you were coming in under budget on everything you were doing for them. And you stopped and you said, team, first of all, great job. These clients are really happy with the work. We're way we're super efficient. What can we learn from these clients that we could apply to other work that we do to make it look more like this? And the team starts to say, Oh, well, you know, these are some things we did a little bit differently. And we have this interesting way of reporting to them that's different than what we do for other clients. And they have these characteristics that are different. And I think we have more clients like that, we would have a better time. And so they're coming up with these things. And you go, hey, you know, Pete, that's a great idea. That's a really great insight. 
would you be comfortable kind of leading an initiative to install that that change to our process going forward? And similarly, we would look at projects that were not going as well and we would say, you know, this doesn't seem to be going the way that we expected. What can we learn from this? Did we miss something when we onboarded the client? Is there something about our process that's getting in your way of being efficient? Is there something about this client that's making it more difficult for us to do what we do? And similarly, oh, that's a really interesting insight. Would you be comfortable? And you're recruiting the ideation process from the team that is going to take so much of the friction out of the action taking that really ultimately makes a difference here. And that, if I could give one piece of advice, that would be it is to get the team involved in this and all the trouble around time tracking compliance and actually implementing changes and following the process and driving these things through so much of that friction starts to go away. If you can just get on the same side of the table with the team, look at the data and then have a discussion together about you know how can we work together to improve this and get to a place where we can all agree that this is going to be healthier for the business. And I, I presume that would be a, a process that would almost become part of agency life. Maybe not, it wouldn't become weekly, maybe not even monthly, but maybe quarterly or, or twice a year or something that you actually pull the team together and say, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to just review this together. Yeah. And really, ultimately, the cadence, because I get asked this question a lot, is how often should we do this? I think ultimately, it's going to come down to what is the life cycle of work in your business look like? If you do projects that take one or two days to complete, you know, and there's a lot of volume, meeting weekly about this might actually make a lot of sense because there's a substantive amount of data that is there to be discussed. Whereas if you work on these massive monolithic, you know, 18 month enterprise development projects, then yeah, checking in weekly is probably not going to be very fruitful. So you have to consider that aspect of it. But the more that you bake this in, the more you'll be developing that muscle the more top of mind this will be for the team and the more they'll be thinking about this because it's something that they'll be discussing often. And so I do think if you can make this uh, a monthly thing as like a general starting point, all things being equal, that's probably a good place to start. And uh, I think you'd be amazed at just how much agency your team will start to take and the ideas that they'll start to surface um, and the ownership that they'll start to take around this. Cool. Cool. Really appreciate that. Right. One very last thing. and I know I've said that twice already, but one very last thing before before you sign off is we've mentioned uh, financial tracking. We've mentioned time tracking. So I'm guessing yeah. uh, software like Toggle or ClickUp or whatever, whatever's going to work for you in your business. Are there mm -hmm. any other types of software that you would you you know, you would recommend people look at for this or is that covered in the toolkit? What would your recommendation there be? Yeah, it's a great question. And the three main things that are going to be important for these kinds of data sets are, of course, you have to have your finance tool. I don't have strong opinions on that. It's, you know, whatever your accounting firm is going to be comfortable using that can get you information in a format that you can understand as yep. a firm owner. On the operations side, time tracking is the key one. And yeah, the, the answer that I give to this that people are never satisfied with is the best tool is the one that your team actually uses. The thing that I'll <laughs> say about this, right, because ultimately... Precision versus accuracy, right? I would rather have accurate data that's not that precise than have really precise data that's not that accurate. And so practical example of that, I would rather have my team track 90 or 95% of their time and have it be kind of rounded up, you know, broader buckets, not specifically down to this task and subtask within the, you know, like higher level buckets, but have good compliance than have a high degree of detail, but have all of that friction of having to get all this detail into a time entry mean that my team only gets 50 or 60% of their time. Because I can't do anything really with that data set without making a lot of inferences that are likely not accurate. So 
Focus on something that is simple that your team will actually use and focus on really lowering the amount of metadata that you try to cram into a time entry initially and just focus on getting compliance. And if you're having that discussion with the team properly, when it comes time to add more metadata to a time entry, it'll be because they said, hey, it'd be really useful to have this information. It's making it difficult for us to have this discussion or get this insight. Like it's coming from them, not from you. Um, and also understand that time sheets are not the only way to track time. I think that's a common misconception. If your firm is set up properly, you can centralize time tracking and use a resource plan and it'll be just as accurate as timesheets. And so if you look at a company like Media Monks, they like to brag about how they don't track time, but they do. They just do it using a resource plan because they have these kind of pods that are deployed against a very small number of clients. And so a project manager or resource manager through daily standups can capture the material changes in what people are working on on behalf of like a team of eight or 10 people. And that can become an effective source of truth. For, so there's there's ways to remove that friction. You don't have to use timesheets necessarily. There's alternatives and we have more content on that. Um, but yeah, ultimately focus on the tools that your team is gonna use. And then if you do want to try and get a bunch of additional rich metadata on a time entry, project management tools are a great way to get that information and append it to a time entry without actually adding a lot of friction to the time tracking process, because you can lean on the inherent complexity of a project management workflow, and then simply you know, use a project ID or an integration to say, okay, this time entry, when I log it, I just need to identify three things. Who is the client? What was the project? What was the task? And how much time you know, did I spend? And then all of the other detail that you probably want, what was the task? What was the subtask? Who else worked on this? What was the task estimate? What were all the other details? that can all live in the project management tool where that complexity is not going to get in the way of, of getting any insight at all. So project management and time tracking and make sure those two things work together. That's what I would focus on. And again, it's about trying to make sure that you get adoption and accuracy and really let go of your need for precision early on because that precision is worthless if you don't have you know good accuracy and good compliance to start with. Marcel, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, and uh, yeah, as I, as I said to you right when we started, you know, a bit of a bit of a fanboy moment for me today. Uh, having uh, it, it's not very often that I have a podcaster that I've been listening to for a year come come up uh, this way. So really appreciate that. Uh, if anybody wants to connect with you, if they want to follow you online, the toolkit links in the description. But how can they how can they connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Head to LinkedIn and find me there. I'll send over a link to my LinkedIn to put in the show notes as well. Always happy to connect, answer questions, reach out anytime if you just want to nerd out. I can't help myself. Um, and check us out at paraketo.com. We've got tons of other content, blogs, resources, calculators, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we'd love to see you get some value out of that and start implementing some of the things I talked about today. And thank you for having me on the show, Pete. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, it's, it's The pleasure's been all mine. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Marcel.